0: Welcome to Creative Twist. I'm Sally Vanderpump and I'm going to be talking to people who have rediscovered their creativity after a break or taken a twist in their career path and tried something new. I know creativity has made my life better. Let's find out more about how it has changed my guests' lives. After he burnt out in advertising... Andy Poplar discovered that he could take iconic items of glassware and bring them to life with the tools of typography, wit, wordplay and a slightly askew way of looking at the world. From apothecary jars to laboratory glass, nostalgia-filled milk bottles to one-off vintage pieces, it never fails to amaze him that you can now find pieces of vinegar and brown paper on bookshelves everywhere, from York to New York we talk about how he's used creativity to help himself and others through this challenging year the sweet spot between self doubt and self belief and why the penny drop of inspiration is worth more than a million pounds hi andy it's Hello. really nice to see you you too so we met i think first at made london uh, yeah i was thinking about this. Yeah, yeah and
1: I think we first met because you had a really nice cabinet that your jewelry was in.
0: That's right. That, that, yeah.
1: No offense against your jewelry. Your jewelry was fantastic, but the cabinet was amazing as well. And it was like,
0: <laughs> it was, yeah, was, it thinking. was the centerpiece. Yeah. Actually, I should get you to etch something. On I was going to say, yeah, mm. definitely.
1: Next time we're at a show together.
0: Yeah. Andy, tell us what your craft is, what you do.
1: My my name is Andy Poplar and uh, my business, if you call it a business, is vinegar and brown paper and uh, I etch glass. Um, uh, but I, I always feel kind of, it's weird explaining people that I etch glass because I don't really just etch glass, it's more about the ideas that are etched onto the glass. So it's kind of conceptual glass etching, I guess, rather than just etching a name on a glass. The easiest thing to do is look at the website, really, to find out kind of what I mean by that. But uh, it's basically, I mean, it's from vintage items like mirrors or or um, vintage laboratory glass, um, and I'll etch stuff on that, and uh, bottles and sweet jars and milk bottles, and basically try to give them uh, an added dimension um, with the wording on them, really.
0: Where do the words come from? Are they... Because sometimes they're inspired by the object. Yeah, it can be a, v- a
1: variety of um, different ways, really. Uh, basically, sometimes I can I can pick up a vintage item, a, a car boot, or in an antique shop, or wherever, and um, it'll have some it'll have some glass surface surface on it. So I'll think maybe I'll come up with an idea. I can etch that, and then I'll I'll let it live around the house for a bit, and then one day i'll suddenly realize uh what the words should be on it the key example for this is i do kind of i have like a a chemical scales piece which is like a glass cased chemical scales and i remember buying this from an antique shop once and not knowing what i was going to do with it but it lived around the house until it dawned on me that obviously it should say work life on it it should be a work-life balance so it, it took about eight months to come up with the two words but Sometimes it happens like that, and the moment that you realise it should be work-life, that, that's just the best, that's the most joyous, creative thing. That's possibly the whole reason I do this. It's just for moments like that when the, kind of, the idea drops, the penny drops, and you think, well, obviously, it should be a, a set of scales that says work and life on either side, and that's the piece. Uh, and then I go and etch it, and um, that's pretty much the joy of, of, of what I find in doing this, really. Um, So sometimes it happens like that. Sometimes I'll take commissions and people will kind of pretty much brief me on, you know, they they want a gift for somebody to to celebrate something and I'll ask them for details and then I'll come up with an idea based on that. And then sometimes I just uh, have something that I want to convey and and find the thing to etch to convey how I'm feeling at that point in time. So it it can be a number of different ways, which is Mm. nice.
0: I love that—that that you actually have the object around the house and sort of let it inspire you. I'm sat in the
1: library at the office, library books. Uh, I'm surrounded. All around me are little glass items that are, they're just sitting there waiting for the idea to come. So I have a shelf here and shelves here, and I can see, I can look now, and there's a pencil sharpener there and stuff, and I, I know they're just waiting to, to become something else, really.
0: And interesting that they're in the room with all the books as well, because some of them are literary
1: links yeah. as well, aren't yeah. there? Well, I'm, uh, I did English at university. I've got an English degree. I saying, and,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, my original career was a, as a writer, as a copywriter, advertising writer. So I always kind of think of myself, less of a glass etcher and more of a writer, really. Yeah, there's a huge link between words and what I do. It is what yeah, I do, really.
0: absolutely. Um,
1: kind of probably less of a writer. And I'm not sure if I like the name wordsmith, but it is basically taking words and, and trying to convey things in a very um, confined space, really.
0: Yeah, so that's interesting as well that your copywriting fed into your your current business because I'm really finding that, I'm really enjoying the fact that although you might take a kind of diversion in your career or change Mm. altogether, actually nothing is wasted. Things kind of come together and find use in the new form.
1: Yeah, I mean, what I do now... It is very, very close, really, to, to the way that I had to write for a living in advertising. It basically, as before I was being given a brief and I had to come up with an idea and make it work within 30 seconds or 60 seconds, um, now I have to kind of distill. Basically, it's, that it's editing down thoughts and feelings and trying to create a reaction and an emotional response. Um, through words which is what I always did for 10 years Mm. anyway it's just I was doing it for other people and that's what ultimately led me to having a bit of a breakdown and walking out of that because I was being asked to do it on tap kind of you know 30 times a day whereas Mm. now it's purely for myself really although I do commissions I guess but it's a it's a much more it's about expressing me rather than trying to sell something to somebody which is Mm. Not particularly good for the soul really no but it's the same skill set it's, it's a very similar skill set of, of back to the work-life balance thing I mean it's literally two words but but if you if you can put attach that to the right object you create something new and it's it's not a novel it's two words but and it's that ability to create a something with very minimal
0: mm. and when you Talking about the kind of emotional reaction, like when you're at a craft fair or something, do you see that penny drop moment for uh, your clients? Yeah. What's that like?
1: It's, it's, the, it's beautiful. I've really missed shows this year. Not. Um, it's been strange because it's made me realise I don't have to do shows. But um, I've missed shows because of that, of of being... The the way I do my stand at a craft show is I stand behind it. It's more like a market store, really. I stand behind the table with all my wares arranged. And so I can see people as they come up to it. And I'm looking at them, looking at my work. And it's such a great feeling. You can see them start at one end. And they first of all, a lot of them don't quite know what's going off. It's like words on glass and they don't see the words but eventually, the penny will drop on the first one, and you see the the smile come in. And then, if you're very lucky, like they'll they'll go and read everything on display. And by the end, they've got they're laughing at the end, and mm. and, and it's not you can just watch it. It's like you can watch their faces light up, and that's that's such a beautiful thing to do. Like backs the advertising. I, I you know I I used to write adverts. Uh, a lot of them were radio. There's some TV, whatever. But you never saw people's responses really. Like it was just in the air; they were been, you know, they, they were gone. Whereas this, you can, you can see people interact with your work, like there and then, and you're seeing them smiling, and it's such a it's such a buzz really. It's so nice.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So I've missed that.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then I was thinking, there's another lovely layer to that as well. When you, when you know that someone's giving your work as a gift, and that. Mm. They're sort of strengthening the connection between themselves and someone else by giving something that it's such felt a privilege. That, yeah. I mean, you,
1: you must know that with um, like your work as well. It's like you, you feel privileged as a, as the maker to to be kind of like uh, kind of like brought into this relationship between someone and someone else that they obviously care about. So they're asking you to to provide something that you're going to gift that they're going to gift to to someone they love or 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 what. And that's such a, a lovely thing it's like an such an honor to be part of mm. that um relationship between people uh it's great it's it's really like if you do stuff for valentine's day or mother's day or, or whatever like that idea of that person opening the gift that you've made that's been given to them by somebody else it, across the country across the world even you know it's that's so nice that's such a such a nice thing as a, as a mm. maker to have happen Really,
0: and then do you get the stories back in a way. Like yeah. you kind of put some words out there and then you get you actually yeah, get you get lovely feedback. Back. You
1: know, you get um it's lovely, you know, you get email people saying how much it meant to them and stuff. And then you you know you see stuff on Instagram where people show the posts of the present they've just been got and you know how much it means to them. And it's really nice. It's really uh gratifying way of making stuff that that touches people. Um and yeah it's it's a really good it's a really good way to to make a living really mm. uh, aside from monetary just as that of having your stuff liked and mm. being shown that people like it rather than kind of a soul no, i say soulless but like if you just sold your stuff to wholesale to to shops and you never saw where they ended up or you never had interaction with the customers i, I think that would be a much i mean i do that but it, i i wouldn't want to do just that because i I like those conversations and that relationship that you build with your own customers selling Mm -hmm. directly.
0: Yeah. And how has that been through this year? Will you go back to shows when they reopen? Uh, Well, I will
1: go back because I've missed them, really. I mean, it has been, it's been a, I I find it difficult talking about it because I know that lots of people have had tough years through the pandemic, Mm. but it's been, it's probably been my best, well, it has been my best year um, sales-wise because I think everyone's Mm. just basically been stuck at home. Um, trying just buying stuff when they can just to cheer themselves up my stuff's mm. not that expensive so um uh, and I, a lot of the pieces that I've done over the years over this year last year um kind of related to COVID yes. as well so it was kind of um I think people were buying them as because yeah. it was touching it you know it resonated really
0: yeah I was um, thinking about that about how you respond to the time so you you did your quarantine Mm. glasses didn't you and then the lovely um things will get brighter collaboration that you've done yeah tell us a bit about that
1: so it has been pretty much 12 months and most of the new stuff in fact all of the new stuff i think that i did over the last year has been in response to um, the pandemic so there was I think it started out with some rainbow prisms where, you know, when rainbows were, it was kind of like at the beginning and that it was prisms with a rainbow on the inside. And then it went through it was collaborations with a printmaker friend called James. And it was about simple things. And throughout the year, it kind of charted how I was feeling about lockdown and what it was. And there were results of my creative kind of response to it, I guess. Mm. And then uh, I've just done... The, the second collaboration with Jack, who's a ceramicist, is a little candle holder with Things Will Get Brighter, which feels kind of, it might be the last kind of COVID piece, I guess, really, mm. as it's kind of, fingers crossed. Um, yeah. Actually, that's not true, because I just thought of another one. Well, I thought of another one last week that I'm going to do for a show. Um, So it's been interesting. It's made me realise that a lot of my work has always been my response to my surroundings. That's just kind of it. But uh, it's a, that's a very positive thing as well. I can use creativity to uh, use my creativity to kind of help me through really mm. and it just so happens that I have this platform to make stuff and sell stuff with it, which is which is brilliant
0: and then I think by putting it out there it helps it does help other people doesn't it because you start conversation and yeah people I mean, see again... their own experience reflected
1: yeah, and I think. I think it's it's really nice. I really like Instagram and people commenting saying, you know, this is exactly how I feel. The great thing about that is that you kind of realize that you're not alone. That you're not the only person sat in a room in a house making stuff, thinking oh, this is how I feel. I feel terrible or I feel great. You realize that across uh, across the world, there's other people who feel exactly the same way that you do about a lot of stuff. And I think that's a very positive thing mm-hmm. um, for. For men's, mental kind of health issues, really, it's that idea that however you're feeling, there's other people who are going through it too.
0: Mm. On the sort of mental health side of things, you've been very open, and like you said already, as as well today, that um, you know you had a bit of a breakdown with work, and mm. how how did you kind of go through that process of leaving a job and starting something new? Um, well.
1: I was thinking about like this, I lose track of stuff now I think I left in two thousand and seven, so that's that's fourteen years ago. that's frightening um so I was thirty three and a third, which I always remember because it's the speed of a record oh, um, yeah so i was thirty three and a third and I'd been writing adverts for the last 10 years and prog- which is a great job uh working in advertising as a, as a creative is a great job until it becomes not a great job anymore and you realize that you're kind of burnt out and you don't want to come up with another idea for a car car dealer or a you know uh, and that basically all of your joy in creating things is being sucked out of you um trying to sell things mm. um so There was still joy within it because you'd have a great, you know, you'd have an idea that you thought was great and you'd have the joy in that. But then you'd have the client say, well, can we just change this? And no, we don't like that. And it's quite a soul destroying process over Mm. a long period of time, even though there's very big highs with it. Uh, I I just got to the point after 10 years where I couldn't face doing it anymore, really. Mm. And uh, it made me uh, I was very, very busy. I was being asked to do a lot of things, and I just kind of broke, really. And um, that, that I've I've said this before a, a number of times. It, I just ended up one day kind of crying in a stationary cupboard, and and followed just walked out. I just left, and um, and then ended up going to a doctors, and they signed me off. But like they signed me off for four weeks. But by the four week four weeks, it was pretty much a case of just handing in my resignation. I had no plans. You did, it a, was...
0: you did a great resignation letter that you... <laughs>
1: um, it seems a long time ago now, but yes, yeah. the, the resignation letter was pretty much along the lines of how I wasn't going to resign myself to spending the rest of my life doing this. So I've now been doing this longer than I had been do- writing adverts, so that's really strange.
0: So how long did it take you to evolve into your...
1: It took a while. Um, I mean, business? I basically left work... I told my wife I just don't want to do anything creative anymore because, like, this is what it's led to. And I've got – there's no joy in it for me anymore. I, don't, I, I just want to, you know, I'll do a job stacking shelves or something, just something, uh, which I didn't do. Um, I just basically ended up on my own in the house for a year or so. and Then my wife got pregnant and um, we had our daughter and I, I had a new role as a state-owned dad. So I didn't have to – I didn't have the pressure of – working out what I was going to do um uh, I could just be a stay-at-home dad and I just concentrated on that uh, uh over that period I think it was about uh, it was almost three years um I had started writing again slowly I'd been doing some kind of short stories and I found this kind of new form that I quite liked of doing very very short stories and I I entered this, some competition, actually. I just brought this back. I'd forgotten. I, forgot about it. I yeah. entered this competition with Waterstones. And um, and I, I ended up in, an, in one of their books. It was like a very short postcard story thing. But that gave me a bit of confidence uh, because my confidence was just, you know, mm. it had been decimated, basically. Uh, and I started playing around with ideas. And I I'd just had this idea whilst I was out pushing my daughter in a pushchair around Harrogate uh, about etching glass. And I had no previous experience. Um, and I taught myself how to do it over a period of about six months. where well, I failed many times, actually. like that, I uh, And then just worked out the best way of doing it.
0: Oh, and then it all kind of snowballed. So you taught yourself how to etch?
1: Yeah. Well, did,
0: yeah how did you do that? Well, it's, it's a process-based
1: thing, really. And I, I, just, I just kind of worked out how it could be done. I had to buy, like, I sandblasted glass. So all the things I had to really invest in was a couple of bits of machinery. So it was about, altogether, it was about 200 quid was the investment. Um, like, one of the, like the, a couple of the first things I actually were milk bottles. And I remember I didn't even buy the milk bottles. I used to nick them off the, the nursery doorstep. <laughs> like, uh, I used to take my, well, not nursery, I used to take my daughter to the thing. Um, And they had, I remember seeing these milk bottles on the doorstep. I thought, oh, (laughs) I just said, (laughs) Nick. So I didn't even buy stock to etch. I just, (laughs) I I had no money. Uh, And, but it was, it was a relatively, I mean, the first couple of years I was working, I didn't make that much money, but it kind of snowballed quite quickly. Mm. I kind of had these ideas. Uh, I think very early on, it became, I, I had one of the pieces was um someone shared it on facebook it would have been at the time or twitter and it kind of went a little bit virally Mm -hmm. and uh, and suddenly i got lots and lots of people looking at my work and stuff and um, i remember doing an interview in america (laughs) this was like very early on it was like in the first year or whatever of doing it and um like doing this interview in America, you know, like it was just a written thing. They sent me some questions. I asked them and it was really, really weird. Like I've been hiding away for three years and and to have this kind of start opening up and um, I had this woman who was working for Oprah Winfrey. It was like Oprah Winfrey's who, who got into wanting to sell some stuff through this Oprah Winfrey kind of like catalog thing. And suddenly like things just started happening.
0: So, That's amazing. So did it kind of start almost before you were ready? I think I had a year of pretty much learning
1: how to do it on but within that year then I, I picked up kind of like stock is very early on and then ended up um quite early on was a company called Rocket Set George who started stocking mm. got in touch and that was really big I was making a lot of stuff um for them and this was very early on uh and that led to other things and so it all did happen over that first kind of two-year period it really did kind of escalate really really quickly mm. and I had to learn on you know as everybody does you kind of learn on the spot but I had no previous training I was literally making it up as I was going along yeah which was great fun and it always has yeah. been like that really and I, I really like it that way um,
0: and have you learnt new, more processes in terms of etching or has that sort of stayed the same? No, I
1: had to kind of change things very early on to the way that I do them now. But I, I've been doing it 10 years this, this year, I think. So, no yeah, anyway, 10 years this year. And over those 10 years, the process and everything has got slightly incrementally quicker or better or more efficient or more uh, cost-productive. Um, so it's very rare that there's a big leap. It, it's, uh, but but incrementally, like pretty much every couple of weeks, I'll think, well, if I just do it that way, that'll make it 10 seconds quicker or it'll make mm. it a little bit cheaper. And I think that's that's a really good thing as a maker to, to learn is that it, it's constantly, you can constantly improve your processes. Uh, even though you think you've reached a point where, well, that's how you do it. But there's constant improvement, whether it's from a cost-effective way or or a, or a quality way, and mm. and so I kind of I just yeah I just think if you can gradually just incrementally get better, mm. uh, and, and then and so don't worry about the big leaps, just just keep on aiming at getting better, and don't ever think that you've just stopped because you're there is a better better way than the way that you're doing it now.
0: And In terms of working for yourself, how do you manage the time and the sort of juggling of like when you're doing your social media and you're making? I mean
1: I have kind of routine i I, I get up pretty early anyway uh, ever since like being a dad really like it's it's always been quite early mine but like um uh, my when like my wife and daughter go to school um you know that's about half seven. So I'm kind of working from half seven and I'll, I'll just do kind of emails and stuff until about nine and and prep stuff. And then I'll go and make stuff for the rest of the morning and then maybe do packing in the afternoon, really. But okay, I mean, it's quite loose though. I mean, there's no kind of like, right, I'm going to work on my social media from 11 till 12 and I'm going to post 17 times a week. And there's none of that. It's pretty much, if I feel like making something, I'll go make it if I feel like posting something on Instagram I'll, I'll do that and I, it's just keeping myself not uh just keeping myself interested really because mm. when you're I, I'm on my own in the house I mean let's take away this last year um but generally yeah, I'm count, on my own no let's let's take that out of the equation but I'm pretty much on my own all day uh which is fine I, I'm quite happy being on my own but the thing with being on your own is that if you if you're not careful you will end up just sat look watching stuff something on netflix or something and i've never Mm -hmm. done that i've never even from when i left work i've never i never fell into that hole of um all right well i can just sit here and watch telly and stuff because i I can't i can't let myself do that because if i give myself over to that (laughs) then it's kind of
0: yeah i I, I, I might never
1: come (laughs) back so i have to kind of keep myself busy and I'm very good at procrastinating, but lots of the time I will procrastinate, and it will lead to new ideas for something else, or it'll be, it'll be kind of positive procrastination of doing something in the studio that is really not doing work, but it is doing work because I'm putting a shelf up to put these things on, which yeah. will be better. So it's kind of it's finding positive ways to procrastinate and to keep yourself interested and not not hating it really, because yeah. you know it's a long time to be on your own. And I think that's,
0: you know, it's this sort of creative thing, isn't it? That the ideas don't necessarily come to you when you're looking for, you know, when you're desperately meeting a deadline. They come to you, they just sort of drop in when you're. I mean,
1: I'm very lucky. Like, I obviously dissected this myself a lot, but I'm very lucky that the way that I work is I have to come up with the ideas, but I also, because it's just me, I have to make the stuff as well. And making the stuff is quite a. Uh, mundane process really it's pretty much you know routine based I have to kind of I have quite a lot to make sometimes and I have to work through it and I I just pretty much switch my mind off and there's I find a lot of pleasure in just kind of the zenness of just Mm -hmm. kind of making the stuff without having to concentrate too much on it and whilst I'm doing that my mind kind of goes off has a play and comes back and going well what about this idea so whilst I'm kind of doing the menial tasks almost of of making washing stuff down prepping it or masking it or blasting it the the creative part of me is just kind of enjoying itself mm. and kind of playing around whilst i'm doing something else so it's kind of a symbiotic kind of relationship between creativity and just the mundanity of the actual process that really mm. works because it means that whereas before In my previous life, it was kind of come up with ideas, come up with ideas, come up with ideas. That's what I was paid for. Mm -hmm. Whereas now it's like come up with ideas if you want. In the meantime, I'm just going to make this because we've got to make this. And that works really well for me because it it kind of alleviates the pressure of like, I've got to come up with something. And it's like, well, I don't have to because I've got enough to be getting on with. And then a lot of the time, because my brain is switched off, then it kind of just has a play and comes up sub- subconsciously, I guess. So it's worked out yeah. pretty well. There was no plan.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think playfulness is so important, isn't it? I mean, that's why I got back into jewellery because I just wanted to sort of, well, got into creativity at all again because I just wanted to refind joy and making without any without any pressure. Yeah,
1: I, I think that's that's the that's a key thing is that it's when you kind of like feed that pressure into it then it loses the joy a little bit really Mm. and it's it's nice um just the act of making stuff or coming up with ideas for stuff is reward pretty much in itself i mean as i said earlier on it's kind of that moment when the idea drops like the that's such a that's such a great thing that's the best thing that is for me what spurs me on is to have another one of those moments because it's 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 so that's better than a million pounds or whatever because mm. it's it's so nice and it's so nice now having an idea and then i can see it in my head of what it's going to be like when i've finished it and i, and I kind of know that no one else has seen it yet as well so it's kind of like oh wow i know what, exactly what it's going to look like and and then i can show it people yeah and it's it's lovely it's really nice um So, yeah, I'm very lucky.
0: And do you, um, in terms of the objects, do you go out seeking things as well or do you tend to sort of stumble across them or have you got like a regular place that you know is good for glass
1: objects? I I do have, uh, I'm very lucky because I have people who, uh, lots of the pieces that I make are kind of one-offs. When I say one-offs, I make one of them. And then, but I'm just looking at one in front of me now, which is a little spirit level. It says, keep your spirits level on it. And I made one of these um, and photographed it and put it out for sale and, and sold one of them. But then I had a whole load of people wanting one as well. So this is what tends to happen. I, I will kind of make one thing and then lots of people kind of want them as well. So I have to have a list of, right, okay, I'm looking for spirit levels now and I'll go out hunting for little miniature spirit okay. levels. Or, or So I'll have a list of things that I know that people – would buy if I was to get them and etch them yeah and that's an, an, a very long list of uh, different things because I, I like making the one-off stuff so there's that that's always there but what the thing that I've missed this year a lot is car boots and and shops yeah. and stuff because there's nothing more inspiring for me than walking around a car boot and uh and, and seeing something I've not seen before and thinking oh, I could do something with that I don't know what I'm yeah. gonna do with it but like if I buy that I, I'll oh, that, that'd be great. And it's very, very inspiring. Whereas most people walk around antique shops or vintage shops or car boots to try and get a bargain. I'm just there for the inspiration, really. It's kind of, you could do something with this. And and it's, yeah. that's that's such a great thing as well. I've always kind of been to those places anyway from a teenager. So now to actually have a business that involves me walking around these places, legitimately buying stuff, Um it's kind of, it couldn't be more perfect, really. Um, so it's kind of you know I'll I'll buy all this stuff and I'll be driving home in the car from back from the car boot, thinking I could do this with this, or I could how about that? And I'm thinking, and it's all tax deductible.
0: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that you're saying that you used to like doing that as a teenager. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Did you do creative things with things that you found when you no, were younger? No, I just used was to it...
1: collect. I'm kind of a collector, really. Mm. I was always a collector from from being a teen. I used to collect soda siphons. Vintage soda siphons were one of the first things, um, huh. which you know, kind of 1950s, 1960s glass yeah. soda. I used to have. Oh, loads I, of... I
0: used to collect the Coca-Cola glass bottles with the um, yes. marbles. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: classic. Yeah, yeah. I think I had a couple of those actually. Um, so anything, so so say, perpetual calendars was quite an early one for me, and I still collect them now. Um, What's I that? Just for a, Annie? a perpetual cl- calendar. So it's like a little calendar. Oh that, yes. So I've got one here. So kind of that kind of thing. So you turn the dates. So, I have loads of those, and that started. I remember buying my first one when I was about fifteen or something. So mm. that part of me has always been there as a collector. Um, it's just worked out that along the way it's turned into kind of what I do as part of my job as mm. well job it's not really a job you know? yeah
0: oh well that that's such a joy isn't it to be able to say that that you enjoy it so much yeah like I've, I, I've kind of got an Im- image of you like walking around car boots and stuff with the caption coming up in your mind yeah as you I know you know like <laughs> Sherlock Holmes you know like how they yeah. do the text that's pretty much like what it feels like
1: the funniest thing is um, if I'm at a car boot, um, should I say? But like, and and I'll, you'll, I will see something that that I immediately want, and I'll be looking at it, and I'll be thinking how much they're going to want for that. And like, I'll I'll say, you know, how much is the spirit level? And they'll go, whatever it is. And then I'll haggle, but I'll I'll haggle about it. I'll I'll buy whatever price you say, because yeah. <laughs> I just want it. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I have to play a long part of the game, but then it's like, but. I'm not bothered about the price of it because I just want to make something with it. And and it's, um it's really funny, but
0: yeah. it's
1: great. And it's, it's such a, I, I've missed that this year. I've missed car booths yeah. and vintage shops and stuff.
0: It's, it's lovely because it sounds like there's so many different elements that kind of keep you engaged yeah. with the whole process. Cause I think sometimes when you run your own thing, you can end up feeling like the, again, the, the pleasure goes out because there's all the admin and the, yeah. But totally. if you can keep all that totally bit, enough I, joy to balance your scales, then that's, that's great.
1: the trick. The trick is to kind of have I, I I had no plans to to do it this way, but it's worked out this way. I have kind of this the last year has been numbers wise I've sold lots of multiples, so lots of COVID pieces. And so I've had to make a lot of the same thing, like X amount of prisms or or whatever they are so lots of multiple making the same thing but I also I I, this year I'm going to concentrate back on the vintage stuff so it's more the one-off stuff just to kind of give myself the fun of doing that again it's nice Mm -hmm. doing multiples because it's really it's good because you're selling quite a lot but I really like the doing the one-off vintagey pieces and I'm looking forward to getting back into doing that after Mm -hmm. having 12 months of not really been able to do that because there's been nowhere to go and source the stuff. Yeah. So,
0: it keeps and it interesting I've, for me. Yeah, I've just started um, rereading the artist's way. I don't know if you've ever yeah. done that yeah. process. Yeah. Well, but, you know the, sh-
1: da- the daily pages on it. Is it daily pages? Yeah. Morning That's pages. What I, yeah. Morning pages. That's what I. That was the first thing that I started doing again after I quit. Uh, I I I had this kind of you know this point where at this point where I didn't want to do anything creative, but then uh, I was seeing a counselling person. They suggested the artist's way, and I remember doing the daily pages and just writing any old shit basically. Was, yeah, oh
0: cr- Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> clearing but, out the clutter.
1: Well, that was really, really. That was the very beginning of me restarting really i remember looking back a bit the stuff that i wrote so i wrote it on the computer and i remember looking back at it a few years ago and just remembering that period as it was a really weird period for me but there were some ideas for stories and stuff that were in there Mm. and um but yeah yeah
0: so you're doing that now yeah i've just i have gone about halfway through before and then but now i'm doing it with a couple of other people which i think will help to kind of keep the momentum but i was just thinking about um julia cameron talks about um you've got to fill the well to yeah. have ideas so you've got to so i think that's something we've really missed this year is totally that that interaction with people in um, at craft fairs or at um or going around junk shops or whatever it is to put well, the ideas
1: i think like looking back at the last 12 months for me i think what i did to to overcome that was pretty much push lockdown into the, the well really it was kind of I. I, I managed to not trick myself, but it was basically started using that as the, the inspiration itself, really. And it otherwise there was like, there's no, nowhere to go. <laughs> you know, you mm. need to find something from somewhere. So I ended up just kind of taking directly from how I was processing lockdown. But it has been an interesting 12 months creatively having that, really. Yeah. Uh, it's a good exercise. Yeah. I remember, oh God, I remember being sat. Fourteen years ago,
0: <laughs> yeah, I
1: remember sat and just writing. Very early on, first thing in the morning, I do it straight away. First thing in the morning, it was good though. Mm. Was
0: good, yeah. I think it's it's really interesting to think about why you stop being creative because I do de- I genuinely do think that we are all we all yeah. have the potential to be creative, but you, there are various things that get in the way, and you think, oh, I should do something that's going to earn a guaranteed living or you know whatever there's all sorts and, uh, of things that just block you I, out
1: there yeah totally and that's completely understandable I was very lucky that I kind of needed to leave work to to start afresh and start from a like a flat line I, I kind of needed the breakdown as it were to kind of start again but I was very mm. lucky that I, I was we didn't have any kids at the time and my wife said yeah it's fine you leave work we'll just live on on my wage for a bit so I was very lucky to be in that position where mm. most people aren't that lucky, so they can't, you know, do that. Because um, it is, it's hard. And, like, uh, I get people say, you know, like, who, who think that I had a plan of leaving work, of leaving work with this plan to, like, set up my own business, etching mm-hmm. glass and stuff. But it, it was never really that, I never had that romantic kind of sort of thing, really. it just It just mm. sort of happened that way. And I was very lucky that I managed to find something that was so perfectly suited to myself that I could kind Mm. of be creative with and um, make a living, I suppose.
0: Yeah. I heard you talking on Holly's podcast Holly, about, um, you know, that it kind of allowed you to become yourself or, you know, become the person that you should have been.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm 46 now and... I'm, you know, I had to go through all of the shit before from teenagers onwards to get where I am. But now I feel like I am the person who I kind of always kind of not wanted to be, but I am kind of Andy Poplar now. That's kind of a trite thing to say in many respects because, you know, but I'm quite happy in my own skin now.
0: Mm -hmm. Whereas
1: maybe in those previous Decades that was never a case. I was always unhappy at school, I was always unsatisfied at work. I was, Mm. you know, whereas now I'm 46, feels great.
0: Um,
1: you know, it feels like for the last 10 years since I've been doing vinegar and brown paper, it feels like I'm winning. It's nice to be this age and and think, Yeah, that's this is who I am, Mm. and you know, I'm not that kind of angsty, depressed teenager anymore. Mm. But I had to go through that. I had to go through all of that. I had to go through the bit of work where I, you know, I had to walk out of work. I had to go through all of that to get to this point. So none of it was in vain. It's just you have to work stuff out for yourself, really.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I had a similar thing, because I don't know if you know this, but I was making jewellery, and as you know, and then I was making jewellery about the heart and about the heart in Shakespeare, and then I was just like, spending more time reading Shakespeare <laughs> <and> <laughs> I really miss acting so I've actually gone back to acting and um, yeah yeah and I was in a rehearsal room just is that thinking,
1: where it is the going back to acting just because of making those heart
0: yeah I was again I'd sort of lost confidence in that mm. side of things and then suddenly I just thought well why why not you know why not give it a another go what's the worst that can happen and I just had this moment one day when I was in a rehearsal room a Shakespeare um I did Macbeth in a week with a really good director and I just had this real feeling of like I'm back in my life like it was yeah, just this is really, what I should be doing this is yeah. where I want to be so it's really I think it's really That's such a good feeling. joyous when you get that
1: yeah. I, like, I don't know and how it many people may, get Maybe that. like
0: you say all that life experience you need that to get so to that are. point to appreciate it and to be ready <laughs>
1: Yeah, I know that feeling, and I don't know how many people have it. I don't know, mm. but it, thats it's such a buzz when you, you start, it's kind of like everything freezes, and you think, oh, yeah, I'm kind of happy. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> this is eight. And, yeah. you know, I'm not thinking that all the time, but there's just moments where I'll, I'll catch myself. It's usually when the sun's out, to be honest, mm. but, but I'll catch myself, and I'll think, yeah, yeah, I, I'm really comfortable with where I am and who I am, and mm. this feels, I'm lucky. Um, and I think if you can have that in your life, then then things are good. Mm. So it's uh, yeah. long may that last, really.
0: Yeah. So uh, on that note, I guess, what would you say to anyone who is sort of on the brink of, like, they know <laughs> they want to do something creative, but they don't quite feel ready? Yeah, I mean,
1: this is, I, I find this tricky because, as I say, I, I you know, I didn't, I didn't do it cleverly. I didn't kind of like slowly do the creative thing whilst also earning a earning a salary and paying the mortgage, sort of, mm. which would be the wise way of doing things. I, I kind of needed the, the flatline thing to, I needed it all to stop so I could start again. So it's very tricky for me to kind of give advice. Mm. But I would say that the key thing though is, is to, if you're going to do something, I mean, play around with trying to find the thing that really kind of kind of zings for you it's kind of you when you find the thing that that you know is kind of you then it's probably time to to you know like look at doing that Mm. on a larger scale but i was very lucky to find the etching glass and, and writing words on glass with some and buying vintage stuff to do it on and that was that was so perfect for, for me it was mm. a long-term thing it wasn't just something I was gonna it was never a hobby I don't mm. that it was never a hobby for me and I was I was lucky that it was never a hobby because it couldn't just be a hobby I think because I didn't have a job anyway I think I think it's about passion it's about finding something that you that really matters to you and trying to explore that and mm. and, and if it if you if, if it's the right thing then I think things start to snowball out of it. It's very difficult to advise anyone to do anything.
0: But, yeah, uh, no. It's
1: about really, really meaning it.
0: Yeah, I know. It's, really, <laughs> I know. it's a difficult question.
1: Because you've got to play around and you've got to play around with stuff and find out what it is. I mean, when I first started, I did a bit of screen printing as well and a bit of letterpress, and I was mm. enjoying that. And that was always kind of, I thought, oh, I could do this. But it wasn't until I hit the etching thing that I thought, oh, actually... No, I really like this. No one else is doing it really. And mm. This feels something new and it feels exciting. But I think if you can find that thing that really speaks to you inside as a thing you should be doing.
0: Mm. And it's kind of those meeting of different disciplines, isn't it? Where things are really interesting that if you, yeah. you know, you're making an unusual combination.
1: Yeah, I think it's even harder now. Like if you go on social media, and you might start doing something, but then you see all the other people who are doing similar things and they're all brilliant at it. And you've just started out and you're thinking, well, should I carry on? Because like, all of these people have got huge amounts of followers and they're brilliant. Uh, but it's kind of, uh, that makes it harder to start off mm. in some respects, I think. Whereas like when I started off, social media was very, very small compared to what it is now. And so, and I, I didn't really care. It was like, I'm just making it for me. And then it kind of, it grew out of it whereas I think I think it's harder now but just different it's probably
0: just different mm, yeah I think that c- kind of comparison thing can yeah. be quite debilitating sometimes for people can't you look and see oh I mean even just doing a podcast it took so long to find a title that wasn't already taken you know there's yeah, there's always really. that idea of someone else is doing it already yeah
1: I think that's just the world that we live in now it's harder to to find the thing that that kind of flips it out really but but it's just about carry i think i don't know i think i think if if you're passionate about it and and you and you kind of find something that resonates with other people i think that's the trick. it's finding Mm -hmm. stuff that resonates with other people so if you've got something that resonates inside you that um that really works for you chances are there's other people out there who it will resonate with too. And if you can find them, then chances are you can keep on doing it and, and make a creative path through that, really. But I think yeah. the key thing is is resonating.
0: Have you had any sort of teachers or particular supporters in the past who've said that you're on the right or, or inspired uh, you in a particular way, do you think? Do, when
1: I first started doing shows, I remember... Do you know Hannah Nunn? She does wallpaper and stuff. She She's based up in Yorkshire, but I remember seeing Hannah. I, I did a show up in Manchester and Hannah was there. We became friends there and she'd been doing it for a few years. And it was just really nice to see that, I don't I know, she'd kind of, she'd got a shop in Hebden Bridge and stuff and her work was great. And she was like making, you know, she was publishing books and it was, I could talk to her. and mm. and, and there was a community of makers, people like Hannah who were very welcoming. Yeah. and it, it showed you as a, as a new maker you could become part of this community and kind of get some sort of strength from from knowing there was other people doing it who could make a living out of it mm. and um that it was something to to enjoy really and and make yeah. this kind of web of of makers and you ended up seeing them at shows like across the uk and you'd be down in Devon down at bobby and you know you'd be talking with people who you saw last time over in London and stuff and, and that was really nice that's a very good support thing when you're working on your own at home mm. most of the time um so that's always been very useful mental wise I don't really know I'm not very good at taking advice so <laughs> 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 so I, I I kind of like I've always liked sort of trying stuff out and not sure if it's the right thing to do, and just going by a gut feeling, and um, so I've never really taken any strong advice from from any people, but that's just me being that teenager, angst, depressed kind of person. well. No.
0: <laughs> following your your strong instincts.
1: Following my instincts, yeah. I think I, I I generally tend to make most decisions just on based on whether I think whether it feels good or not or it's kind Mm. of like with ideas as well it's like whether whether it feels like a good idea to to etch I kind of make the stuff that I make is for myself and and it's just about a good feeling whether it's kind Mm. of a good idea or whether business decisions are good things to do like whether to go and do a show somewhere feels like oh I should really go and do that show I think a part of that as well comes back to kind of having a career in advertising and being told what to do and all the time and clients saying, no, we don't like that bit. Uh, whereas now it's kind of like, well, I, I don't I don't care so much because I, I like this and I'm going to mm. try it this way. And I might be wrong, um, but I'm going to try it and find out.
0: I'm really intrigued that you're talking about the gut feeling because someone else that I was talking to was saying she's trying to go like much more, more out of the mind and into the body to trust right, okay. what feels what feels good. Um, That's interesting. What does she yeah. do? Yeah, she's what, a writer. Yeah, right. Sort of in terms of life decisions and you know going with where where you feel peaceful.
1: That's interesting because I have, I have, um, I've always, I've always had this thing where it's kind of, you know, when you have a decision, you have either you do it this way or we do it that way, and. For some reason i 've always kind of tricked myself that like whichever way I choose that that feels like the right way i've chosen mm. it. it it It's kind of almost the actual the left or the rightness of the decision is almost irrelevant it's like whether when you've made that decision whether you kind of, you're happy to just accept that you've made that decision and just in doing that it becomes right so mm. it's kind of like just going with your gut kind of thing and just following it through so once you've gone, gone with your good decision whether something's right or not just keep on having faith in that decision really rather than panicking oh i should really have have done that instead yeah
0: because um, yeah, overthinking can just be paralyzing can't it and actually yeah. if you try and take the thinking mind out of it yeah and just extent. kind
1: of just kind of like just go with it a little bit i suppose um easier said than done but, yeah, not to worry about things. Wow. You see, I, I'm, I'm a quandary of, <laughs> <laughs> of conflicting things. Yeah, but, I mean, over I 46 now, I, I've learned, for me personally, it, it's much better for my own state of mental health just to be try and take a positive approach about stuff. Whereas back to this, you know, I was the archetypal Smiths fan, teenage angst kind of, like, uh, kid And I was very negative about everything. I was very negative. I was very pessimistic. I was very cynical. Whereas now, uh, I'm much more positive about stuff. Still cynical, but in a kind of optimistic way. So I think Mm. the worst about everything, but I kind of think hope that I'm wrong. Yeah. So, (laughs) so, and I find that that much better. It's a much better way for me just to live. um, Is to try and and go for you know. I think well, it will be okay. This is the right thing to do rather than to worry too much about how everything's rubbish. I think that's maybe having a 12-year-old, because that's what Mm. she does. Everything's rubbish, and uh, (laughs) I hate everything. And I I kind of look at her, and I think, well, yeah, I remember being there. I remember thinking that. And I kind of wanted to get to the point I'm at, thinking maybe it's not all rubbish. Maybe maybe things are okay.
0: I know, and you've got to have the rubbish to appreciate the...
1: And this is the the Magic, irony. Haven't you? Is the the irony is that I must be so annoying. I, I, I do say to her, look, you know, it, it's not all rubbish. She will. It's better to look, be positive about stuff. But then, she's got to go through that negativity mm. to to find out that that's the tr- that's she's got to work. Yeah. to work it out itself at some point.
0: Yeah, I read quite a lot of Pima Chodron. I don't know if you've read no, I don't Buddhist. Know. Buddhist, um, start where you are, and you can be in them worst place but that's where in the kind of muck and mulch of yeah the rubbish is where the lotus flower yeah. grows
1: uh, sometimes people ask me what my favorite pieces are and i never really can answer them because it always depends on the latest one that i'm working on but possibly my favorite piece is um it's a it's a bell jar a glass bell jar and inside it is a, a metronome and on one side, it says self doubt, and on the other side, it says self belief. And basically, mm. it's kind of a kinetic piece. So the metronome ends going between self doubt oh, wow. and self belief, and it speeds so up or slows down. And, and the piece itself <laughs> can be de- deconstructing my own pieces, but um, it's kind of like both self doubt and the self belief coexist. It's kind of that's a positive thing. It's not that self doubt is a bad thing, you, you kind of need the self doubt to have the self-belief that they Mm. they have to exist together and if you can get to that state and be comfortable with that state where you can exist in both states but realize that they're part of the same thing Mm. that's for me being 46
0: yeah (laughs) in a a bell jar rather than a nutshell exactly Um, it's funny actually you say that because one of my quotes i've got in my notes is from matt haig which says there's a sweet spot between confidence and anxiety, and that's where creativity lives.
1: I, I totally agree. I've not heard that, and that's maybe um, Matt
0: Haig would like the Bell Jar. Maybe he would. I, yeah, <laughs>
1: yes. I, I think I, I, it actually lives in a in a doctor's surgery somewhere in London. I think. Oh
0: wow! <laughs> in
1: a psychiatrist or something. But I know that he owns it. I remember selling it to. Me. So he bought it when we we're in a show in Manchester, and it was one of the hardest pieces to sell because oh. I was like. I'm not sure if I want to sell it. Uh, yeah. Do you have that? Where you kind of, there's certain pieces where you think, I don't mind if nobody wants it because I'm quite happy just to yeah. keep it. But no, I think that's true. I think I, I think it's realising that, that there are both sides. There is that, that sweet spot, that point between the two. Accept it. And, 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 and if you can accept it and see that that's the truth, well, truth, that's such a brilliant thing to do. That's kind of a, a realization that self-realization that um it's a it's a it's a good thing
0: thank you so much andy it's been such a pleasure to talk it's to been, you
1: it's been nice i'm sorry for rambling on it no it,
0: <laughs> awesome. it wasn't great thank you <laughs> thank you for listening to creative twist i hope you've enjoyed it show notes and resources can be found on my website sallyvandpump.com slash creativetwistpodcast I'd love to connect on social media at Sally Vanderpump and hear what inspires you to get or stay creative thanks to Rosie Kernahan for the podcast photo to Vicky Arledge for composing the music to Jen at Studio 2711 for the artwork and to Tina Cooney for her branding